Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me in your Bibles this evening once again to the book of Revelation. We have been in Revelation for a while and and uh, we picked it up a little bit uh, last time that we were here and went through chapter 7 and we uh, all but finished chapter 7 and um, now uh, I've been struggling with myself in order to figure out how I wanted to do this. We kind of stopped at verse 13 but we kind of included the rest of the chapter last time anyway. Um, so uh, what I want to do is is kind of go over a little bit of the end of chapter 7 before we head into chapter 8. So if you'll turn to your Bibles, uh, Revelation chapter 7 and 8, uh, that area, we're going to look at... Uh, now remember, in chapter 7, it was... Uh, uh, chapter 6 ended with, who can stand against the great tribulation of God? Who can stand against all this, uh, uh, all these things that were pouring out from God? Uh, remember the seven seals uh, were on the, on the scrolls and, and uh, John was lamenting about the fact that there was no one to open them and uh, there was a great mourning in heaven because no one was there to, to come and bring about the, the judgment of God and, and then uh, it was revealed to us that the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb, now the Lion and the Lamb it are two references to one individual, Jesus Christ. And the Lion and the Lamb uh, sometimes is referred to as the uh, Lion of Judah and sometimes is referred to as the Lamb of God. And uh, uh, But regardless of how He's referred to, He comes forward and says uh, that He's able to open the seals. And so uh, the seals have been opened up and uh, we've seen that. Uh, that uh, and... At the end of chapter 6 it says, uh, For the great wrath of God has come, and who is able to stand? And chapter 7 was an answer to that. And it was referring to the 144,000 of the uh, tribes of Israel. And uh, we said that is largely a symbolic number. It refers to the 12 tribes of Israel uh, in the Old Testament, the 12 apostles in the New Testament bringing the 12 and 12 together. Many times we see the 12 and 12 added. This time it is multiplied 12 uh, times 12 times 1,000. And so we have um, or 12,000 times 12,000, 144,000. Uh, and so what we see is, is that uh, this is a symbolic number, mainly because of the way in which the tribes of Israel are mentioned here. It mentions the tribes uh, out of order. It mentions uh, some while it leaves out others. It, it, uh, it, it uses uh, an order that's never seen anywhere else. And we talked about that in great detail last time. And 
uh, we came to, uh, and we also saw a great crowd of a great multitude. Not only does this 144,000 represent uh, the people of Israel, but it represents not just the tribes of Israel, but this great multitude of people that uh, become grafted into the, the family of God, into the tribes of Israel uh, from all over the world, These uh, the Gentiles that are a part of this great crowd, this great number of people, this great host of people that is mentioned uh, in chapter 7. Uh, and uh, so uh, we also talked about how uh, he uh, saw and he heard and uh, there's uh, several different instances in which there's four. Uh, we saw the fours and the three and the four and all that kind of thing. And so we come to the end of chapter 7 and it says, One of the uh, elders answered in verse 13, saying unto me, What are these which array in white robes? And so, and whence, whence do they came, uh, come? And so we see that the great multitude of people are arrayed in white robes. And uh, the angel responds to the, uh, to the question posed by the elder. And uh, well, John says, I said to him, Sir, you know... He says, Lord, he said I, who am I to know? Only, uh, you know who these people are. And uh, so uh, John is, is, he has to refer to uh, knowledge that's not his own. He says, and I said to him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So we understand that the great uh, multitude of people have, are the saints of God. Uh, these are the people that have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And of course we know and understand that, it, uh, that uh, the Jewish people are not the only ones who have been washed in the blood, uh, but it is the Gentiles, uh, those of us who are not of the tribes of Israel uh, uh, by birth, uh, that we are a part of the great multitude as well. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He sitteth on the throne, uh, shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor uh, any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. And so what He's giving us is a glimpse of what is, is coming. It's happening in front of John at this time. He's seeing it, but, uh, but he says these are the people of God. And we see this actual event happening at the end of the book of Revelation uh, where uh, we see uh, all the people of God, all those who uh, follow after Jesus, all those of us who uh, have made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, uh, we are... Uh, the uh, the bride of Christ and we're uh, brought uh, before Jesus Christ and we're joined with Jesus Christ at, at the end and w there's a great feast that occurs, a great wedding feast and heaven is described as a city without uh, where the sun never sets uh, and the sun is not uh, provided, the light's not provided by a source like uh, our star that we call the sun, but it's Jesus Christ that provides the light. There's no 
hungering, no thirsting because of the great feast that Jesus has provided for us and that God has laid out before us and uh, the living water that flows from the heart of uh, the throne of God and and we are... uh, taken care of by God and there's no hunger, no thirsting out of the midst of the throne. Uh, we shall be fed uh, and uh, we're, there are living fountains of water that Jesus refers to throughout His ministry also at the end of, uh, of the book of Revelation. So what we see is a portrayal of uh, what is coming. John is seeing it uh, Uh, in this vision as well. And so this is what we're seeing. We're seeing all of this happening and the the question of who can can stand? Who's able to stand? Well, it it was answered for us, those who've been sealed by the Holy Spirit with with the sign of God upon the forehead, uh, those who are uh, saints of God who've been sealed by the Spirit of God Uh, until the very end, those are the ones who are able to stand. So now we come to chapter 8. And chapter 8 begins a new section of Scripture. And and we read in verse 1, And when He had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth. And a third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. The second angel uh, uh, sounded and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and a third part of the sea became blood and a third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the ships were destroyed and the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters and the name of the star was called Wormwood and the third part of the waters became wormwood and many men died in the waters because they were made bitter and the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars so as the third part of them that uh, was uh, darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the uh, three angels which were yet sound. And if we continue to read, we'll read the other uh, angels that uh, descended upon, uh, who brought forth the other 
uh, uh, unlocking of the of the other. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a great a star fall from heaven unto earth, and to him was given a key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as to the smoke of the great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened, and reason of smoking of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth had power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any of the green things, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion with a sting uh, when he striketh a man. And in those days... Days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Um, I'm not going to continue to read because it goes on for several chapters, but what I'm going to focus on uh, first is uh, this first section in chapter 8. Verse 1 says, And when he had opened the seven seals, there were was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And he saw the seven angels before God, uh, servicing God. What I want us to focus on here is uh, this pause that is brought about. Now, we've, seen, we've, we've read and studied through a pause between chapter 6 and chapter 8 is chapter 7 that is kind of a pause in the action in that it is commentary by John to uh, in the things that he's seeing uh, but where there's no active destruction of mankind at, during chapter 7 but when chapter 8 uh, begins it begins with the opening of the seven seals and it begins with with uh, the renewal of this torment that comes upon mankind and uh, it begins with a great silence and of course uh, I understand that all of this has been a challenge for us because I don't know how many of you have made a study through the book of Revelation the way that we're doing. I'm not saying that the way I'm doing it is unique, that no one else has ever done it. Most people don't tend to study the book of Revelation because uh, they have the opinion that there's going to be a a, a secret rapture of, of all believers before any of this happens. So why do we even need to study any of this? Um, and I understand that's the prevailing um, tradition of the church, and I understand that 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 is something that many people hold dearly as a tenement of their faith. But um, have we seen this in the study of Revelation anywhere? Have we seen anything that would indicate the secret rapture of God's uh, church before any of this happens? In fact, we found great evidence of the fact, uh, to the contrary, from the very beginning that John himself indicates that he believes that he is in uh, the tribulation at the moment of his uh, being exiled on the Isle of Patmos. 
uh, and that he feels as though he's going through this tribulation period himself. Um, of course, he, he's not seeing any of this happen in reality. He's seeing these visions and he understands that these are the things that, uh, that will come, uh, but he's anticipating these things happening within a short period of time, within his lifetime. He believes that he's living during the time in which Jesus Christ will return. And all of this is to happen right before the return of Jesus Christ. And so if he feels as though he is living during a time, it's the same as with Paul. Paul believed, and and he indicates in his writings, that he believed that he was going to live uh, during... Uh, during his lifetime that Jesus Christ would return from heaven. Um, And so uh, if all of that was to happen uh, uh, before Jesus Christ returns, then they believe that they were living during a time when this was to happen. So how is it that we got so far off into believing that none of this was going to affect us? I think for the large part, it's uh, the wish and the desire that that we not have to go through this kind of, of tribulation, this kind of, of great torment. Uh, of course, there's uh, many who speculate that, uh, that all of this that's happening... Uh, uh, coincides with uh, different things that have happened in history. And, and there's some that want to say, okay, uh, the Roman rule of the people of Israel uh, is bringing about this feeling of, of the end times and the fact that uh, the tribulation of God has come upon them. Others said, uh, no, no, it wasn't that. It was when uh, in the 1940s when Hitler came and, and uh, began marching across Europe and taking over everything and, and all of this destruction and uh, and all of this devastation that happened to the people of Israel, that was the tribulation. Um, But we have no evidence of any of that uh, being the case and we have no evidence of the fact that we're, we as a church, uh, a bl- a, the body of believers will be raptured out before any of this happens. So uh, that's primarily, uh, but that has been primarily the reason why we fail to study this scripture. But what I want you to understand is, is that not all of this study has got things that are fearful for us to be afraid of. Well, first of all, let me just reiterate what we just, uh, what I just went over again of, of, about chapter seven. Who's able to withstand all of this stuff? Those who are sealed with the seal of God upon them. Who are the people that are sealed by God? Those who who follow after Jesus Christ, who have the seal of the Holy Spirit upon them. Who are we? Hopefully you are counted amongst the saints. You are one who has, uh, has given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You are one who has given your all to Him and you've been sealed by the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life and you have nothing to, uh, to worry about because you have what? The seal of the Holy Spirit and you... The Bible just clearly states here in chapter 7, who can stand? The saints those who have the seal of God upon them. So uh, throughout Scripture, we have very clear evidence that the people of God 
won't ne- not necessarily be taken out of tribulation, but that we'll be helped through tribulation by the hand of God. The Spirit of God leads us through, keeps us through all of the, uh, the difficulties and struggles that we may face, all the tribulation that is coming, all of this pouring out of God's judgment. Why, why are we not subject to the judgment of God? Because we have the cleansing of the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit keeps us. It says right here in chapter 7, we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our robes have been made white as snow. That is why we're able to come through this tribulation. And so uh, in the midst of all of this that's happening, we have 30 minutes of silence that's mentioned here in uh, chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. This uh, silence, what is it for? Why is there silence? Why is there a pause in the midst of all of this? Well, there's a lot of different... uh, Beliefs as to what this silence represents. It, it, first of all, uh, it m- makes it possible for the prayers of the holy ones to be heard before the throne. Read with me again, um, verse three. And another angel came and stood at the altar, and having a golden censer, there was given unto him uh, much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it upon the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. And so first of all, we see that it's possible that the silence is there in order for the prayers to be lifted up. So often, we allow prayer in our life to be something that goes by like that, that prayer to be to take a back seat to everything that we do in our worship. Now, we, we pray several times in, in worship, uh, Wednesday nights and Sundays, but it's not as integral a part of our worship as it should. Prayer is, is a time in which we're coming before the Father. Prayer should be something that, that is, uh, is essential in our life day to day. It's something that, that all of us should probably spend more time doing. Prayer is, is, is a very important part of our worship of God and it should be a part, should be likewise important in our life. And it's almost ironic though that, uh, that we so many times have a hard time turning the sounds and the noises of this world off so that we can pray. I know in some homes, I'm not saying it is, I, I know it's not in my home, but I know it is, is in some homes. I, I, I imagine if, if, anybody pray, if people pray around the table, they wait till the 
commercial comes on so that they can pray real quick while the commercial's on so that they can get back to the program while they're eating. Or uh, you, you, you tell everybody, all right, everybody be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. We're going to pray. That's about the only time there's quiet in the home. Even when we're alone at home, we there, there are lots of times where, uh, and I, I know it's not just my generation, but it's uh, people from uh, older generations as well. When we're in the house by ourselves, it's hard for us not to have some kind of noise going on. My mom likes to turn the TV on, and whether she's watching it or not, she just likes to hear voices in the house other than her own. Or what I do is I like turning on the radio when I'm washing dishes or uh, helping uh, doing chores around the house. Even when I'm out mowing the grass or weed eating, I listen to the podcast in my ears. I told myself it was so that I didn't have... I was putting stuff in my ears to keep the gnats out, so I might as well put earbuds in there and listen to something that, uh, that helps the time go by. But in the reality is, is that we have a hard time with silence. We have a hard time with quiet. And one of the main reasons for that is, is that it causes us to be introspective. It causes us to question ourselves and, and, and think about the things that we've said, the things that we've done. That's why it's vitally important that we pray in silence because it causes us to think about the things of our day, the things that we've been doing. It's time in which the Spirit of God is able to speak to us. It's a time in which we're able to, to allow the things of the world to be pushed out. And for some of us, it's a hard thing to do, to push out the sounds of, of the world. Even when we have nothing on, the sounds still go on in our head. Here the Bible says, in all of heaven, there's silence for 30 minutes. It's not because God can't, God's got a hard time hearing. He's getting old, so He has a hard time hearing, so we've got to be quiet so He can hear all the prayers. No. It's the reverence that comes with lifting of prayers. And so, the first reason for the silence is because of the prayers that have been lifted up. It is also been indicated that this is the return of the primordial silence. If you go all the way back to Genesis and you begin to read about creation, in the beginning God is present the Bible says that uh, that the the form of God uh, moved over the firmament that bothers a lot of people it bothers everyone because they're saying well wait a minute is the firmament the earth But, but here it says that God created the earth and he's about to create it but the Bible tells us that the, the form of God moved over the firmament. 
this is the silence before any of the creation. God existed before there was anything. And when God, each day God created it, it wasn't until the end of the week that God created man in which He was able to communicate. <coughs> there was silence throughout the week. Oh yeah, the, the stars sang of His glory. And all of creation burst forth with His with their voices to praise God throughout creation. But it's not until the sixth day that God creates man and places him in the garden. And so this silence that is mentioned here is hearkening back to that primordial silence before any of creation existed and before, especially before the creation of man. I like to think about the the quiet that God, after God created Adam, and each evening He would go with Adam in the in the cool of the evening in the garden. I'm sure there was plenty of discussion, but you know, when you love somebody as much as God loved man, and I'm sure many of you have done this, and I'm sure in 55 years you've got to the point where you know what each of you are thinking and it's just all that you need is to is to just to be together you don't have to say a word you don't have to to have any word now it helps to now it helps fred to communicate to miss betty how much you love her and you tell her that but she knows even without a word being spoken Between Adam and God, I'm sure there was plenty of silence where God knew the heart of Adam and knew His love. Well, there's also uh, a third understanding of what the silence is for. And we've got some clues in what is mentioned. In verse 5 it says that there is the rumble of thunder. There was lightning. There were voices and lightning and earthquake. This is the evidence of the presence of God. Throughout Scripture, when God made Himself known, Many times there were just such uh, instances. If you go back to the book of Job, in which Job is... Remember Job is, is going through a hard time and, and Job is asking, God, where are you? Why is it that, that you've allowed all of this to happen? And, and where, where were you when all of... I mean, Job's like us. He's asking, God, where were you when I needed you? And Job says in verse chapter 4, verse 16, And I stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. And an image was before my eyes, and there was silence. And I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more than God? Shall a man be more pure than his Maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, 
whose foundation is in the dust, and which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening, and they perish forever without any regard to it, uh, regarding it. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. So this is the very presence of God is being manifest before Job. And, and there, the Bible tells us there is a great silence. Turn uh, uh, to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Zephaniah. Or... Zephaniah 1.7 Holy and peace are in the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid His guests. And then... <coughs> and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the kings and the children and all such are as clothed in strange apparel. And the same day also... Will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's house with violence and deceit? And it shall come to pass in those days, saith the Lord, that there shall be a noise of a cry of the fish gate, and a howling from the second, and the great crashing of the hills. How ye inhabitants of uh, Maktish, for all the merchants' people are cut down, and they that bear silver are cut off. So the presence of God brings a great uh, cry. And then Zechariah, a couple of books over, chapter 2, verse 13. Asil- uh, be silent of all, all flesh before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. So the silence is seen throughout Scripture each time that God is coming with with judgment, each time that God is coming and bringing about... Uh, you remember Elijah when he was uh, there in, uh, hiding out from uh, Jezebel and uh, there was an earthquake and there was a great storm and there was lightning and, and uh, thunder and... Then the still small voice of God came and spoke to him. So all of these are indications of the very presence of God. And so the silence is is the silence. It's just like uh, if we were here in this place and uh, we were expecting the pre- uh, the the uh, presence of the Queen of England to come into uh, where we were standing. Everybody would be made silent at the appearance of the monarch. Or when uh, the uh, president enters into the room, everyone is quiet and is silent uh, because of his authority and of his uh, uh, presence. So the silence is uh, a prelude to divine manifestation as we've seen it in Scripture. And then... uh, The last one I've just alluded to a little bit is the reverence 
before God. The silence before the reverence of God. Uh, turn with me to Psalm. Chapter 6. Uh, not chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 62. If I could see what I'm doing. Psalm 62, verse 1. It says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From Him cometh my salvation. And then uh, Hebrews 2.20. Not 2.20. Not Hebrews. It's Habakkuk. Excuse me. I got to get these these contacts fixed. Let me tell you, Habakkuk two twenty. But the Lord God is in His holy temple; let all the earth keep silent before Him. And so we see several instances in which this silence and the earthquake represents uh, spiritual significant significance. It is. Uh, an anticipation of the divine judgment or the instrument of divine judgment in which uh, the earth shakes. And there's several uh, scriptures that uh, will cause us to go way over if I read all of them. Second uh, Samuel 22, verse 8. Isaiah 24, 18-20. Haggai 2, 6-7. And Haggai 2, 21. Hebrews 12, 26. And Revelation 16, uh, verse 18 through 21. All of these are uh, indications of the earth shaking uh, because of the significance of the divine judgment of God. And all of these happened before God's judgment came upon the people. And it also represents the presence or the imminent arrival of God uh, or the aged of God that uh, the earth would shake uh, with. And many times the Bible references it as an anticipation of the presence of God, an anticipation of His judgment. And so these first five verses that we've seen here in Revelation chapter 8 is is all an anticipation of uh, the wrath of God and uh, we'll go and look at more about what all of these, uh, the significance of all the the things that are that are coming about when God's wrath pours out. But we see all of these uh, the prayers of God are are lifted up, and as the incense is cast down into the earth. Now, what's the incense reference? references the prayers of the people of God and the prayers of God's uh, people. And so the incense and the coals that are in the censer are thrown, cast down upon the earth, and with it come these uh, great uh, um, uh, plagues upon the earth. Uh, Some would say these judgments that come upon the earth, the stars that fall out of the sky, uh, the sun, uh, a third of it doesn't shine. We'll get into all of that the next time because we have run out of time now. But as we leave, I want us to to focus upon uh, the silence. Think about the silence. 
How often are you with God in silence? How often do you allow the presence of God into your life? This silence is significant. And uh, because of the presence of God, because of God uh, bringing forth His judgment, and we should not uh, make light or short of the presence of God in our life. So often we... One of the biggest complaints of Christians, Preacher, I just don't feel like God's with me. Preacher, I just don't feel God's presence in my life sometimes. Preacher, when all of these bad things are happening, where is God? God has made Himself evident before these uh, terrifically difficult times are about to be unleashed upon mankind. His presence is there. His judgment is coming. He is there. God is there in your life as well. If you're one of the saints, if you've been washed in the blood and God's seal is upon your life, you ought to rejoice at the presence of God in your life. You ought to exalt Him and praise Him for His presence. And the silence... I challenge you this week to have some time in silence with God. We've been talking about making sure we spend time in prayer with God. But how often do you allow God to... uh, But prayer is about praying to God and letting your heart be known. But how often do you allow God to speak to you? Maybe that's why it's so difficult for us. Because we have a hard time listening to God. Because we are afraid of what He'll tell us. We, we just know He's going to tell us something we don't necessarily want to hear sometimes. We ought to embrace the silence. Allow God to speak to us and through us. And so often God makes it clear to us what we should do, the things we should say when we go to Him in silence and let Him speak to us. Let's pray.